one song, um, the drums really come in on that second verse. I think it's how great is our God. So we're doing holy is the Lord. When the drums don't come in on how great is our God, the second verse. Forty-four seconds to spare. Okay. <laughs> Number three. You look quiet. Watching the clock. I guess. Yeah. 
time enough. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I have. I have. Is this on? Good morning, everyone. Mike, am I on here? Pulpit, Mike. There we go. Hello, everybody. Hello. I'm glad. I'm glad to be speaking to you this morning. Welcome. I tell you, beforehand, everything got so quiet. It's not like you folks. We're glad that you're here this morning. Welcome. We are, we are definitely glad that you are here because we are here to worship the Lord together and to uh, fellowship with one another. And uh, it is great to be in the house of the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. Amen. And we welcome our guests, especially today. Uh, you are very special to us and, uh, and we're glad that you are here and we hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family this morning. Just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, let me remind everyone of the attendance sheets on each, each row there. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. And we have some, um, uh, some busy times coming up in the next few days. Uh, next Sunday will be a, a busy Sunday. We have um, our prayer time, a special prayer time for our award ceremony for our upward program will be next sunday morning during the uh, sunday school hour also uh, during the worship hour we will be having a baby dedication and after the worship hour we will be dedicating and having a little open house for our preschool area many of you know that we have redone that and it is absolutely gorgeous and so we're going to have some refreshments back there and have a, a little dedication service for that after the worship service for just a few minutes, just for uh, just an opportunity for you to drop by and to see what, what we've done back there. Uh, one other thing, um, the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship is, is uh, offering some cluster groups, some regional cluster groups, and uh, this is a new thing that they're doing, and the first meeting of the Western Kentucky Cluster Group is on Tuesday, at Third Baptist Church in Owensboro. Uh, that's Tuesday evening at 6.30. Dinner is served and it's basically going to be a listening time and a brainstorming session. And they want as many people, as many representatives as possible to be there. And so let me invite you to attend that at Third Baptist Owensboro Tuesday at 6.30. And if you think you may be able to attend, please let me know today or tomorrow because they called the other day and said, do you know how many people are coming? And I said, no, but uh, I said, I can, I can tell you Monday. So if, you, if you'd like to go, give me a call, and, uh, and we'll put you on the list there. And uh, I think it's going to be a great, great thing. So we're glad that you are here today. And we are here to worship and to fellowship with God and to fellowship with one another. So uh, let me invite you to stand up and turn around, shake the hands of the people around you, and greet each other in the name of the Lord this morning.
anybody remain standing? Stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing Holy is the Lord thank you for the blessings of life. Help us to be your holy people. And Father, we pray for the nations of this world, the issues that we face, that we see in the news. We face 
uh, many trials and tribulations, Lord. Help us to seek you. Help us to do your will in our lives. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, be seated. back a little bit so you can see the screen, okay? Now, Dr. Tim's going to preach to us today about, um, about being ministers to those who are less fortunate, about people who might kind of be on the 
fringes of society. So I thought a good story to share with you today is about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a little man who became big in the kingdom of God. One day, Jesus went to visit the city of Jericho. The people of Jericho, they were very sad people. Do you know why they were so sad? They were sad because they had to pay taxes, and their taxes were very high. And you know the reason their taxes were so high? It was because there was a dishonest tax collector in the city. And the tax collector's name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he would always collect more tax than the people really owed. So say they owed a dollar, he'd make them pay four dollars. That's not very nice, is it? He was taking more money from them than they really owed. He would give part of the money to the Roman government, and he would keep the rest for himself. He was very greedy. Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to Jericho. He wanted to see Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us in the story why, at this particular time in his life, he felt the need to see Jesus. It doesn't say why, on this particular day, he decided it was time to turn his life around. But he was so short, he could not see above the heads of the people who crowded around Jesus. So he saw a sycamore tree nearby, and he decided to climb the tree so that he could see Jesus. Now he climbed and 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 climbed. Until finally, he was perched high in the top of the tree. Now, he must have wanted to meet Jesus pretty bad to climb all the way to the top to that sycamore tree. So when Jesus passed by, he looked up in the sycamore tree and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I am going to your house today. Zacchaeus, he climbed right down from that tree as fast as he could. Zacchaeus, Jesus went with Zacchaeus to his house, and he had dinner with him. Now, some of those other people that had been standing around waiting to see Jesus, they were pretty angry with Jesus. They were like, why did you go to Zacchaeus' house? I'm a good person. Zacchaeus, he's a sinner. He's been taking way too much money from these poor people. Why did you pick him? Do we ever sometimes feel like that in our lives? Think, well, maybe we're a little bit better than other people. You shouldn't do that. But once Jesus was in, his, in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus, he changed. He told Jesus that he would give half of his money to the poor, and if he had cheated anyone, he would pay them back. He promised to repay them four times the amount he had stolen. That day, a lot of people in Jericho were much richer and much, much happier. Zacchaeus was happy too. Jesus had changed his life. So think of some people in our community that maybe we need to reach out to. Some, some words that came to my mind were people who are maybe sad or lonely or poor, or maybe they just don't know about Jesus. Maybe they just need us to reach out and to help them. And there's so many ways in our community and in our world that we can reach out to people. In a few weeks, we're going to be serving at the Salvation Army. And, and some of you kids here I know have helped with the Salvation Army before, have came with your parents. And that's a great way to reach out to people. Um, we've made friends when we go there. And uh, 
you know, sometimes people just need us to, to give that helping hand. And like Zacchaeus, sometimes it's hard to change our ways. You've got to climb and climb and climb to get out of the mess that maybe you've made of your life. But when you do, then it's, it's our responsibility to try to help someone else. So just remember that this week as, as uh, you're at school. Maybe there's someone that maybe at some time you thought you were maybe a little bit better than them. We're all in this together, and so we need to just help each other out. Okay? You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on the throne of, of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the, then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you are, the, you are accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of God's word.
Most of us can relate to the story that I shared during the children's moment about Zacchaeus. 
At some point in our lives, we have made poor choices and we've hurt those around us. We too have had to climb up out of the mess we have made of our lives. But what about the rest of the story with Zacchaeus? Do you think Zacchaeus, after he met Jesus, ever looked back to those times when he had taken advantage of those less fortunate than himself? Do you think he ever felt regret and shame? I know that when I remember certain times in my life when I treated someone unkindly or my actions were very unchristlike, I felt great pain. I have often wished that these memories could go away or that over time the action or un ugly words would feel less painful when I would remember them. But God chooses to have us not to forget the days that we were in such a mess. Instead, he wants us to take these experiences and draw from them when ministering to others. There might be someone going through something quite similar to something you've experienced that just needs a helping hand. These experiences keep us humble and make us realize that, that God had mercy on me. If I can be saved by the grace of God, there is hope for everyone. Hope, what a wonderful gift to share. to wish that I could rewrite history. I used to dream that each mistake could be erased. Then I could just pretend I never knew the me back then. I used to pray that you would take this shame away the evidence of who I've been, but it's the memory of the place you brought me from that keeps me on my knees, even though I'm free. Heal the wound, but leave the scar.
Thank you, Christine. Heal the wound, but leave the scar. It's a reminder to us. What a wonderful message that is. You may have heard the story about a burglar who pries open a window, and I feel almost ashamed after that setting was set to go into this story, but it kind of changes the mood somewhat. But here it is. <laughs> the, the burglar pries open a window and steps into a dark bedroom. He comes face to face with a big, huge, vicious looking Doberman pincher. When he sees the, burg the, the Doberman, the burglar froze in his tracks. And, and once his eyes adjusted to the dark, he noticed that there was a parrot sitting on the back of the Doberman pincher. And the parrot squawked, Jesus is watching you. Well, the burglar hesitated for a moment and then ever so carefully, he lifted an item from the dresser and put it into his sack. And while the dog watched him intently, the parrot squawked, Jesus is watching you. So then without any sudden or jerky movements, the Burglar cleaned off the rest of the valuable items on the top of the dresser and the dog glared and the parrot squawked, Jesus is watching you. And so the burglar quietly left that room and walked down the hallway, went into another room. The dog followed right at his heels down the hall and into the next room. The parrot squawked, Jesus is watching you. From one room to the next, the dog paced right behind the burglar and the parrot annoyingly shouted, Jesus is watching, Jesus is watching you. 
And then finally, the burglar finished stealing all of the jewelry and all of the cash that he could find in the master bedroom. Every move was scrutinized by the Doberman pincher, and the parrot kept squawking, Jesus is watching you! Well, by this time, the burglar was so exasperated and so sick of this parrot that he bent down and picked up a shoe, threw it at the bird, screaming, You stupid parrot, can't you say anything else? And at that, the parrot fluttered away to avoid the shoe and squawked, Sick him, Jesus! <laughs> Surprise! I guess you could say that judgment day had come for that burglar. Well, our lesson from Matthew today looks to another kind of judgment day. As Matthew tells us, it's the day when the Son of Man shall come in all of his glory. And Matthew tells us that it too will be a day of surprise for many people. Picture it, if you will. All eyes are drawn to a great light at the center of a royal throne where Christ sits with all of his angels at his side. And surrounding the throne is an enormous crowd of people. Christ is separating the great crowd into two groups. On his right are the sheep and on his left are the goats. And to the sheep... Jesus says, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and they will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But to the goats, the goats are not quite that lucky. Jesus says to them, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow. This is... This is a a pretty sobering passage of Scripture, isn't it? But the first thing I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture today is this. How surprised everyone is. Look at how surprised everyone is. The sheep are surprised because they don't understand what they have done to experience such an honor as to be included in the inheritance of God. But the goats, on the other hand, they're also surprised because they don't understand what they have done so bad to deserve their fate. I can almost hear the complaining now, can't you? Jesus, it must be some kind of a mistake here. I'm, I'm in the wrong crowd. I'm, I'm in the wrong place. I should be over there on the right side where the sheep are. And to this complaint, Jesus will reply, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you gave me no clothing. I was sick and in prison and you ignored me. And then the goats will ask, when? When did we see you hungry and when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked or sick or in prison? And Jesus will say, when you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. Surprise. It kind of reminds me of an old story about a man who dies and finds himself standing before the pearly gates. And St. Peter apologetically explains that their computer system is down uh, temporarily. And so he has to personally interview each candidate to see if they are fit to enter into heaven. 
And so St. Peter begins his interview and he says, what kind of deeds have you done that would make you worthy of heaven? And so the man thinks about it for a minute, scratches his head, shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't know. I don't know. And so St. Peter says, well, for example, were you ever a Boy Scout and involved in community projects that helped other people? And the man said, no, I never did that. So St. Peter said, did you ever help an elderly person across the street? No, never did that. Did you ever contribute food to a local food pantry? No, never did that either, said the man. Well, tell me then, did you ever do anything good for anyone else in your entire life? So the man thinks about it for a moment and, and finally says, Well, you know, years ago, I did go to church one time and I put a nickel into the offering plate. Does that count? Well, St. Peter is stumped. He doesn't feel that he should allow this man into heaven without first talking it over with Jesus. And so Peter leaves the man standing there and goes and explains the whole situation to Jesus and asks him what he ought to do. And Jesus said, well, it's simple. You just give that man his nickel back and tell him to go to the devil. <laughs> Pardon my crudeness here, folks. But we need to face the reality of this passage of Scripture. Because you see, what Jesus is telling us here is that caring for the needy is very serious business. It's very serious business. And some of you may be surprised by that. Dr. Kenneth Carter tells about a member of his congregation who is involved with a homeless ministry, and he says that his, his motivation for helping the homeless comes from his relationship with his brother. Apparently his brother suffers from a psychological disorder that sometimes leads to paranoid delusions, and these delusions have caused him to live on the streets. He just kind of travels from one homeless shelter to another. And so his brother explains that when he serves the homeless in the ministry that he's involved with, he imagines that one of those homeless people that he is serving is his brother. And that's exactly how we are called to look upon those in need as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you see, my friends, Jesus is making it very clear here. We are to care for other people. And, and we do this not out of a fear of divine retribution. We don't do this because we're afraid of hell. Rather, we do this because the spirit of Jesus Christ lives within our hearts. And because that spirit lives within our hearts, we see others through the eyes of Jesus. And when we see others, when we're able to see other people through the eyes of Jesus, that makes all the difference in the world. There's a graphic that you may see, this graphic that's on the front of your worship folder. Uh, it's up here on the screen now. This is a woodcut from Fritz Eichenberg. It's titled Christ of the Breadlines. It depicts a group of people standing in line for a handout. They're obviously poor, every one of them, obviously cold. There's a woman with a, with a scarf there, a man wrapped up in a blanket, one of them is hugging himself just to get a little warmth, and one with a cane. 
almost all of them have their heads bowed in, in self-loathing. And, and then in the middle of this dark depiction stands Jesus with a bit of light surrounding him to offer hope and understanding. I want you to see, folks, he's one of them. He's standing in line with them. He is one of them. This print can be found in a prominent place at the Open Door community in Atlanta where I used to be involved with a ministry to the homeless. And, and, and some of you who went on our mission trip to Atlanta a few years ago, you may have seen this, this print there uh, as you served at the Open Door. Um, and it's very important. I think it's a very important reminder I know it's important for, to the staff and the volunteers of the Open Door who work there because, you see, working with the homeless is a very hard thing to do. It's hard to do, especially when you do it day in and day out. For, you see, homeless people are very needy people. Many of them are, are suffering from mental illness. Others have been kicked in the teeth so many times that they have given up hope for a better life. And they just struggle from day to day trying to survive. And they work the system as best they can to just to make it another day. And it's very easy for those who work with them to become jaded and hard, burned out and cold. That's why I have so much respect for people like, like Dottie Suggs working down at the Christian Outreach Center day by day, day after day. And, I, and that's why this print is such an important reminder to us. Because you see, when someone comes through that soup line or that bread line, it is like serving Jesus Christ himself. And as Mary Glover prays at the Sojourner Neighborhood Center before handing out groceries, she always prays, Lord, we know that you'll be coming through this line today, so help us to treat you good. My friends, this is the first lesson from our text today. Be careful how you treat anyone, for you see, you may just be, they may just be Jesus in disguise. And the fact is that a true follower of Jesus Christ will have a tender heart for those who are suffering in the world, and we need to be able to see Christ everywhere and in everyone. We also need to invest a part of our lives in doing something to help others in need, whether that be visiting a nursing home or helping in a soup kitchen or, or simply taking an interest in, in a needy family of, uh, uh, that you're acquainted with. And the fact is, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to serve those who are less fortunate than ourselves. And, and this, is, this is something that we need to do not so much for, for them as it is for us. Now, some people may dismiss this parable by saying, well, this, this sounds an awful lot like salvation by works. And I believe in salvation by faith, so I, I don't need to worry about that. And and it's true that we are saved by faith. But the question is, what is faith? Is faith merely an intellectual assent to a set of principles that we might happen to believe and may or may not follow? <laughs> or is it 
truly an active participation in the work of God in our world. You remember what Jesus' brother James said about faith? He said, faith without works is dead. It's no good at all. A great missionary, E. Stanley Jones, once told about a Brahmin convert who came to live at the ashram that Stanley and others founded in India. You have to remember that the Brahmins were drawn from the upper caste in India. And everybody at the ashram was expected to participate in the community chores there, even cleaning the toilets. But this was one job that this Brahmin refused to do. He felt like this was beneath him. But when Jones explained to him that in Christ there are no unsuitable tasks and that those who are converted to the lordship of Jesus Christ should have no trouble cleaning toilets, the Indian man replied, Brother Stanley, I am converted, but not that far. I wonder if that may be kind of like what our problem is. We're converted, but not that far. We love Jesus. I love Jesus, but let's don't get carried away here, folks. I want you to compare that attitude to one of Mother Teresa's nuns. One day, Mother Teresa saw one of her nuns smiling, big, huge, broad smile on her face, just obviously full of joy. And, And she asked the sister why she was so happy and The nun explained to her that she had found an old man who had fallen into a drain. And the old man had been stuck there for quite some time and he was completely covered with dirt and muck and maggots. And and so the sister, this good sister took the man, he cleaned him up, he took care of his wounds. And and then as she was going through this, as she was going through this process and cleaning him up, something beautiful happened. She said, I suddenly came to the realization that I was touching the body of Jesus. Folks, that's what real conversion is all about. You know? That's the kind of conversion that really, really counts. That we understand and we believe in the principles that Jesus came to teach us, but we also start to live them. And it's very easy for us to insulate ourselves from those in need. Truth be told, most of us would rather hold the problems of others at arm's length. But but folks, let me tell you something. If we do not give of ourselves in helping others, then we are missing a great opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. My friends, if Jesus is going to shine forth as the light of the world, then Jesus' disciples are going to have to put their faith into action. And that means that there's no task beneath us. And every person that we serve is like serving Jesus Christ himself. But folks, let me tell you something else here. When you help someone in need, when you help somebody who needs a helping hand, something extraordinary is going to happen. Because you see people are also going to begin seeing Jesus in you. And that's pretty neat. I mean, think about it. When you serve those who are less fortunate than you, you are doing it unto Christ, but when you're helping others, they're also seeing Jesus in you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Barbara Brown Taylor tells a, a wonderful story that comes from our Jewish community. It's a, it is a tradition among Jews to, who celebrate the Passover to, to save a seat at their Seder meals, their Seder feast for Elijah, the prophet, who's supposed to, to bring the news that the Messiah has finally come. And at, at a specific moment in the, in the service, the Seder service at different homes, the door is flung open for Elijah to enter and to claim his seat. And for everyone, everyone falls silent there with anticipation, waiting for Elijah to come. And, and for thousands of years, pious Jews have opened that door, and, and for thousands of years, nothing has happened, at least nothing that the eye can see. And so one day a pious Jew asked his rabbi, for about 40 years now, I've opened the door for Elijah every Seder night waiting for him to come, but he never comes. What's the reason? And the rabbi answered, in your neighborhood, there lives a poor family with many children. Call on the man and propose to him that you and your family celebrate the next Passover together at his house and for this purpose, provide him and his family with everything they need for the eight days of Passover. And then on the Seder night, Elijah will certainly come. Well, the man did as the rabbi told him. And, but after the, the Seder, after the Passover was over, he came back and he claimed that again he had waited in vain to see Elijah. But Rabbi answered, I know very well that Elijah did come to the Seder that night at your poor neighbor's house. But of course you were not able to see him. And then the rabbi held a mirror before his face and said, look, this was Elijah's face that night. And Rabbi was very wise. And I believe that we should hear his message loud and clear specifically applying it to, the, to Jesus Christ rather than Elijah. Because folks, followers of Jesus Christ have a heart for those who are in need. We see Christ in the poor. We see Christ in the suffering of the world. But folks, when we enter into the needs of others and try to serve them, something extraordinary happens. For you see, they also see Jesus in us. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. When did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and sick and clothed you or sick and in prison and visited you? And that's when Jesus says to all of us, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. May we all take this lesson very well and let us live it.
in our lives. Amen. We have come to that part of their service where we will celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It is an ordinance for, for God's people to gather together and to celebrate with one another the presence of God. It is to remember what Christ has done to us through his body, through his blood, through his death and his resurrection. It is open for all who are part of the family of God, and so we invite everyone to participate in the Lord's Supper. We invite you all to come to the table of the Lord. You'll see that we are, we are set up for the traditional method of uh, communion today, so you don't even have to get up from where you are. Uh, we will be serving you the Lord's Supper today, and if my deacons can come forward, and we will prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning. You may remember the inauguration of the of communion of the Lord's Supper. It was at the celebration of the Seder meal uh, at Passover time, when Jesus was celebrating the Seder meal with his disciples. It was a time when they were remembering, they were remembering Exodus. But Jesus put a little different twist on it. He said, as we take the bread, you should remember my body, which will be broken for you very soon. And you shall remember my blood, which is spilled for you. But Jesus did something very unusual that night as well, before supper. Because you see, he took a towel. He gird up his robes around him. He took a basin of water and a towel and he did something that was unthinkable, kind of like the Brahmin that I mentioned a little while ago who felt it was beneath him to clean the toilets. Jesus cleaned the feet of his disciples. He became a servant. This was something, the washing of feet was something that was reserved for servants, for slaves, because most people thought it was beneath them. And you have to remember in those days, people had nasty feet. They wore sandals everywhere they went. They had open sewage running through the streets. Their feet were dirty. They were nasty. And it was a nasty, smelly job to wash feet. But it's a job that Jesus willingly took upon himself. In the traditional method of the Lord's Supper, we take the bread 
and we pass it from one person to the next. In doing that, we are literally and spiritually or symbolically serving one another. We are serving each other, just as Jesus served us. As we serve the person next to you, I hope that you will consider what Christ has done in serving us. I hope you will consider that Christ took on the form of a slave and quite literally became our servant for our sake. So serve your neighbor next to you. And as you do that, also think about how you can serve others who are outside of this church or inside of this church, others who may need you desperately. And we, as God's disciples, are called to be servants. So as you take the bread, as you take the juice, think about ways in which you can serve one another.
Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat.
the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm doing something new for you. Take and drink. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be in the presence of God and to know that God's Spirit is in this place and God's love fills our lives and Christ's Spirit urges us to serve one another and to serve those who need us. That's the message of today. That's Christ's message to each of us. And I hope it is a message that is something that we, we believe, but not only believe, that we live. Because faith without works is dead. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. It's number 390. We are called to be God's people. And that's what God's people, being God's people is all about. It is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and living the life that God has called us to live. We are called to be God's people. Maybe you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's time to do it today. We invite you to make that commitment in your life. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe that he really did die and his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. But not only to believe that, but also to follow the ways that he's called us to live. Maybe you need to make that commitment to Christ today and we invite you to do that. Perhaps you're looking for a church home to be involved with and be a part of as we seek to be the people of God. We invite you to come and unite with our church. We are a church who truly seeks to serve.